what is it, what exactly is it that athletes have to do under pressure? And of course, what they have to do is deliver movement, complex movement like the golf swing or the tennis serve. And they have to deliver this complex movement in a way that's fluid, powerful, effortless and precise. Welcome to the Pure Golf Collective. We are your hosts, Carter Bennett and John Roy. Together through this, we bring a new lens on themes of development, performance, and process. The idea of the collective is to investigate and celebrate the intrinsic values of golfers and the obsession to the purity of the game. The collective is not just who we hear on this podcast, but any person invested into growth and connection to golf. We are golfers celebrating all that is pure in the game we love. Welcome back to the Pure Golf Collective. We are on episode number nine of round two. It is officially spring and the golf season is right around the corner. I know we are getting very excited for the season, very eager. It's been a fantastic winter, super busy, lots of golf uh, interests on both mine and John's ends. And hopefully this podcast is supporting your golf journey and getting you more ready for this golf season. We have a fantastic episode for you today. John is catching up with a friend of ours named Jane Story. Jane is a performance practice coach specializing in the mind-body connection. Her unique approach to sports performance uses simple practices of ancient disciplines to help athletes overcome anxiety, nerves, and mental interference. Her company is Chi Performance, and in her work, she uses practices that have been tested and proven to enable the delivery of complex movement skills during high-pressure situations. Her practices are similar to many of the themes that we have talked about on this podcast, and particularly her emphasis is on the practice in meditation. I will let Jane tell you more about her background in the discussion with John. Certainly for me, Jane's practices uh, touch close to home for me as much of my evolution of a, as, a, as a golfer, as a coach, as a human come from formal meditation practice and the themes that are learned and trained in the formal practice. Uh, and Jane does a fantastic job speaking to these skills and the importance of practice, as she has over 30 years of training and teaching in the Buddhist meditation and Tai Chi. This episode is absolutely packed with awesome ideas and tidbits for you guys to hopefully take away and start to implement into your uh, golf experience, whether it be at home uh, or on the driving range or on the golf course. I think the timing of this discussion is uh, has worked out really well as we're uh, just a week or so after the Players Championship on the PGA Tour, which presented a very cool opportunity for us golfers to watch the best in the world, have experiences that are much more similar to what our golf experience looks like. The ability to make decisions and execute the movement and the the task uh, with a high degree of efficiency was very challenging due to the conditions that they were they were put in and goes to show that even the most skilled performers can struggle when they're not able to match into the experience and find harmony with the environment and the task and the intentions that are following out uh, certainly you would be we were able to see some of the emotions that the the golfers were experiencing and also seeing the the result of not managing that aspect of their performance. Jane's message to the the golfing world in ideas to overcome the anxiety, nerves and mental interferences would have been or would have had to be applied to the nth degree out there at TPC Sawgrass and I think 
you know, if it's important for those those guys, the best in the world who who move the best and have the highest level of skill, it's certainly going to be important for us if we're interested in kind of breaking through to that next level and tapping into our best performances. Like I said, this discussion is loaded with awesome ideas and uh, little tidbits to take away on. So get your notepads out and let's enjoy this discussion with Jane Story. Well, hello and welcome back, Jane. It's uh, nice to hear your voice again. And uh, we, we won't tell anyone what happened the last time we did one of these. So uh, we'll, we'll move on and, uh, and talk today in earnest about, uh, well, a couple of key, key themes. But before we, we break into that, uh, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your biography? Uh, tell us a little bit about where you are and, uh, and what's, what's new. Okay, well, John, thank you very much for having me back. Yes, I'm, I'm here in the UK. I'm just about 40 miles south of London. And uh, you were interested in speaking with me because I've got a couple of books out, one very recent and one which came out in 2019. It's great. They're getting a lot of, uh, lot of interest on Amazon and in the golfing community. Um, what I'm trying to do is bring my 35 years worth of martial arts and formal meditation practice into golf. So we've got my first book, Breathe Golf, and also the new one, Connected Golf. Um, so I'm hoping to, to bring a new paradigm to golf and sport, which is about the mind-body connection. One thing I had forgotten, Jane, in a, in a recent chat we had was that you're not um, playing golf every day, necessarily. And, uh, and I wondered a little bit about what would attract you to the game of golf as you, as you leave sport of meditation and sport of martial art why why does golf fit into that venn diagram or or what was it about golf that captivated you well many years ago when i was still teaching my tai chi classes i had so many students um so i had skiers swimmers triathletes and golfers in my classes and you know, time and again, people were sort of winning medals, winning competitions in all of these sports um, because the Tai Chi practice was helping them to feel calmer, more centered, more in the moment. But it was the golfers again and again and again who were saying, my God, there's something that's really happening in my game. And when I first started to investigate, obviously, I went to, you know, the top of the game. I went to Jack Nicklaus. And it was something that Jack Nicholas said, which is golf is played with the feet. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting because everybody and his dog in golf in the mainstream is looking at upper body movement. Whereas Nicholas and also Ben Hogan were talking about the ground and the, the role of the feet and the role of the legs. And I thought, well, this is so interesting because there's a very famous saying in Tai Chi from one of the grandmasters, Yang Chen Fu. The saying is, Tai Chi begins in the feet, moves through the waist, and is expressed in the hands. And so this sort of, you know, this echo of Tai Chi and what Nicholas was saying about golf, it really sort of set me on my path, which I've been on ever since. And, and in, in the other sports, uh, you mentioned things like swimming and so on. What is, it, what is it that you help athletes to solve? Help them solve the, the whole puzzle and the riddle about what does it take to perform under pressure? Now, many, many writers, including a lot of mental game coaches, they put sports performance performing under pressure, they put it in the same category as uh, an executive, a business executive who has to perform under pressure, or maybe a student studying at university who has to perform under pressure. And I've really tried to look at what is it, what exactly is it that athletes have to do under pressure? And of course, what they have to do is deliver movement complex movement like the golf swing or the tennis serve and they have to deliver this complex movement in a way that's fluid powerful effortless and precise and in the martial arts let's take 
something like an archer. It's very Zen, the Japanese um, Kaido, the archery. If we look at the principles that, that the Eastern world use, it's nothing to do with the separation that we've got in the West of mind and body, your mental game coach, your technical coach. In the East, it's about training the posture of the body, training the mind to be contained within the body, and particularly within the body center, which we would call the hara or the dantian, so that the mind, the analytical mind is resting at the center, the breathing is from the center, and that movement itself arises from the intention and the center of the body. So it's a very, very different. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to solve this riddle, mm -hmm. um, which is actually solved for the athletes who will commit to this practice. It seems to me that this is about a paradigm shift of sorts, you know, from the dualism that traditionally overrides, uh, you know, sports psychology, let alone golf instruction. And, and there's this like division between the two versus, let's say, in the East, um, where, where those things are, are more harmonious and, and used together. Why, why have you had so much success in a culture that doesn't really see what you're saying? Um, or, or is it because you feel that the paradigm shift is, is needed? Is it something that your audience couldn't wait to see and now that you've finally written it? It's almost like your flow experiences that you talk about in your book that were waiting there all along. Have you untapped something in our in our in our audience here that was waiting to be expressed? I I think so, and there's a couple of instances where somebody wrote to me recently, and they said that they had this almost mystical flow experience where the the shot was perfect, and they've tried ever since. And you're talking a decade or so ago. They've tried ever since to recreate that perfect shot. And of course, they've read everything. There are so many people who touch upon breathing. They touch upon it. And of course, we can understand intellectually, oh, yes, if I focus on my breathing, then I'm going to be calmer. I'm going to be more relaxed. But I believe what's different with, with what I'm bringing is that I've actually done formal practice for over three decades so I'm speaking from experience not from an idea so if I go back to this gentleman uh, uh, who contacted me recently to help him and other people recreate the experience of flow we have to understand that we can't make that happen and we have to understand that it's only by the effort that we make to be more centered, to have this 15 or 20 minutes daily practice where we sit with no phone, no TV, nothing. We're sitting there with ourselves, trying with our attention in a relaxed, a relaxed, attentive way to follow the breathing. And when the mind is quiet and the mind becomes more connected to the body, particularly the body's center of gravity, we are creating the conditions within ourselves that invite, invites the flow experience to appear. So maybe it's a guy thing with all the guys, the mental game coaches are approaching it with a left brain. Mm. They, and I've seen the tour pros, even the people who are coaching the tour pros and the way the tour pros are approaching this. It's like a drill. It's like an exercise. Oh, I'm going to sit and I'm going to breathe. I'm going to hit 20 balls. I'm going to do this. No, I'm saying you, you do your, it's a practice. It's not a technique. It's not a mental game technique. It's a practice and it needs to be approached in this formal, traditional way to access this state, which every golfer every tennis player, every skier, every swimmer, every mountain climber, every slackline walker, every parkour person, you know, wants to access. Yep. 
it, it would seem to me that the culture of society seems dead bent against this strategy in the sense that everything is about instant gratification, uh, the commodification of these very ideas. It's, 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 it's a book that you had to write, you know what I mean? And it's got covers and, and there's, you know, and it's, and it's sold and, and, and all of those things. Um, how has that been? And do you feel that society might be the cultural environment that we live in might be more welcoming today than it used to be to the messaging that you're bringing across? I think it's certainly more needed today than it's ever been. Um, when I wrote Breathe Golf, which was um, when it was published in 2019, the, the statistics showed that a human being is able to be in the present moment for about 12 seconds. And apparently that's reduced now to about eight seconds. Oh. And there's an advert on the radio here for broadband rage. Mm-hmm. If you suffer broadband rage, you know, change your service provider. Right. It's because you can't do something within two seconds. It takes 12 seconds, not eight. This is unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So all this is, I mean, humanity is, is our, we are all suffering from attention deficit, hyperactive disorder. Mm-hmm. So this is needed. This is needed now more than ever. but. John, it's never going to be mainstream because while it seems incredibly simple, it's it's the most difficult thing in the world to sit quietly with yourself for 20 minutes following the breathing. And some of the other deep practices that I've brought in, connected golf, which are more the standing practice and the standing meditation, right, right. the slow motion kind of drills that that are done with by the the warrior monks, the Shaolin monks, or the monks from the Wudang Temple, and of course all of that's to create and develop ground force energy, more leverage, more whole body uh, movement. But, but still, you know, I'm asking people to sit still, stand still, be quiet <laughs> for 15 or 20 minutes, and I think this is why a lot of it is taught by by people, especially men. I have to say who have an idea oh yes of course if i sit quietly i'm gonna mm. my mind's gonna calm down therefore i'm gonna teach that yeah or i'm gonna write a book about that or i'm gonna coach that or i'm gonna offer people a certification course if they train with me for a week mm-hmm. and of course it it just diminishes something that that's actually you know we we, we need to practice for its own sake mm-hmm. And, and, all, and almost, you know, have a reverence for this practice. And the other thing, John, is that many people, and I've seen this in meditation, I've seen it in Tai Chi, I've seen it in yoga, it's all been sort of reduced and watered down to such a degree that it's, a, it's approached as a doing. Oh, I'm going to do meditation. I'm going to do Tai Chi. Whereas in the past, hundreds or thousands of years ago, the particular states that people will get into, where the front of the body softens, the mind settles in the center of gravity, the breathing slows down, the mind quietens, this is all as a result of practice. It's not a checklist, oh, do this, do that, do this, do that, mm-hmm. which is how it's, uh, how it's approached by the vast majority. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I'll I'll commend you, I guess, a little bit, not to make you blush, but because you're writing a book under, you know, between two covers that would lend itself to a checklist and perhaps a training manual that goes with it and 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 so on. I, I do feel you've got an interesting way of tiptoeing between those two paradigms, you know what I mean? Because of course you need to use the tools of the oppressor to overturn them. And so, and, and so to borrow from Marx, the, the, um, the idea there being, of course, you know, we need a book, we need to, we need to get it out there. We can't just yeah. stand on the roof and yell and that wouldn't work either. And that would be contravening the very spirit of the exercise as well. And, and so on. But anyway, let's go back just a little bit there because there's something um, almost um, laughable about the idea that sitting in stillness for 20 minutes may be the hardest thing, may require the most courage that you could possibly muster. 
and and isn't that interesting how far we've come i guess which is fine and and hey it is what it is and and here we are and let's let's respond right but can you speak a little bit more about the pragmatics of that exercise or practice or craft that you're describing where when uh, what are some good strategies you've proposed to others that have been able to benefit you know that could really turn this sure. around for them yeah well the first thing is just get it done you know, even if you have to get out of bed, you know, half an hour earlier, the best thing to do is to is to get your practice done in the morning. Get up, have your green tea, have your coffee, you know, take the dog out, whatever you need to do, and then sit. Or if you want to follow the protocols in Connected Golf, you can do a standing form of practice, standing meditation. Yeah. There's no way around it, you know. It's like just because you have a gym membership, it doesn't mean you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. You know, you have to go and you have to do your push-ups. You have to do your squats. And and in the same way, you do your training. You know, you, you do your training. That that That's it. For me, as a martial artist with this background, there's no question. I, I train every day, most days. Um there's never been a question in my mind not to do it. But but for people starting out, a couple of things, really. One is people can sit and go, oh, my God, this is amazing. I've never felt so calm. I've never felt so peaceful. And then they'll do it a couple of days. And then, and then it's like, well, actually, it was really hard today. Or I was so bored. Or, oh my God, how long is 20 minutes? You know, and then people sort of fall off the wagon and, and, and can't get back. But the Buddhists have this wonderful saying. They say, under all circumstances, continue. If you get it done, get up, get up earlier if you need to and sit there or stand there and make this effort to be with yourself, not on your phone, not on your emails, not distracted in any way, but just but just try to come into your own physical center and your breathing. And it's difficult and it's, it's not meant to be easy. That's the whole point. It's not, you know, it's simple, but it's not meant to be easy. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. But if you can get it done in the morning, then what happens is you have prepared yourself for the day. And when you go on the golf course or on the tennis court, you're waiting to receive your opponent's serve. You go into a realm that's a lot closer to flow. So you go in to the center, into the breathing. Um, a wonderful way of, of seeing this is if people want to go on my, on my website, you have to scroll back to when Tiger Woods won the Masters in, was it 2019? Yes, I think so. Yep. Yeah. There's a wonderful photo. Molinari was ahead, but there's a wonderful photo. Uh, I've put it on my blog. And Molinari, you can see his shoulders are tight, shallow breathing, and he looks tense even though he's ahead. Now, Tiger Woods, who we know has been a lifetime meditator, and also practiced Tai Chi when he was a youngster. You look at him, you look at the relaxed shoulders, the empty chest, you see his awareness is within the body. He's relaxed, but he's focused. And that photo tells you everything you need to know about who's going to win that golf tournament. And of course, as we know, it was Tiger Woods. But it wasn't a given at that moment. And it may have been that he... Tiger Woods might have, you know, hit a bad bounce and lost, quote unquote, in one definition. But even still, just as as a person navigating the landscape of life, we're we're winning when we're relaxed, able to focus inwards, regardless of the trophies and the extrinsic and and so on. And that's a nice nice pivot into some of the the draw for the game of golf and some of what our podcast focus on from week to week. And I'd be interested to know your perspective sure. as well about that. But there's a theory that we've been throwing around, which is that an intrinsic motivation somehow is worth more than an extrinsic one. And I don't know that that's true. I think in the end of the day, what I mean to say is that when they are in a harmonious balance, 
our goals, for instance, which I know is not a, a word that's easy to um, to use in our in, in this paradigm shift, um, our desires, our needs, you know, so on and so forth, will be will be better served when we have a harmony between intrinsic and extrinsic. And maybe like before, we could argue society is dead bent against those darn intrinsic ones and, and celebrates only the extrinsic ones. So things have become out of balance. Could you speak a little bit to some of the intrinsic values or to the relationship between intrinsic and extrinsic values that you have encountered in your own practices or in your own suggestions to athletes? Do you find that many are lacking in the intrinsic side or do you find that in general you're noticing a nice trend where people are learning to build that harmony in a little bit better than they used to? I think a lot of people, when they hear <laughs> podcasts like this, when they hear conversations about this practice, the people that then contact me, they recognize an inherent truth in what we're saying. Because I'm not teaching anything that I've made up. These are not my ideas. These are practices which are hundreds and even thousands of years old. So people hear, hear it, like a gentleman up in Scotland who I started to work with recently, although he found it very difficult to do the practice. Uh, he's just started, he's, he's been doing his meditation daily for about three weeks, but he heard something, he's heard something in the message. People read something in the book and those books took me seven years and 10 years to write respectively. So that there are inherent truths in this and it can only touch something within us it doesn't touch the mind. It touches something deeper than the mind. It touches a, an inner, the inner self, the inner space. Oh. I mean, again, the Buddhists say that that which you're seeking is causing you to search. You know, this sort of toroidal yeah. uh, form, this idea that there's something within us that needs to be expressed. Mm -hmm. But it's the extrinsic, if you to use your language, it's the mind that thinks it knows. Mm -hmm. But it's, that's the very thing that we're trying to quieten down with the practice. Because flow needs space. It needs space. If we think we know all about flow and we're going to make flow happen, it, it's going to disappear. It's ethereal. It's going to move away from us. And in classical... In classical sports psychology, anyway, there is this, you know, here's a here's a remote control. If you push the buttons at the right time, then you will draw flow. You know, it goes A, A, B, B, C, A, B. That just type that in. You're going to get it. And exactly. uh, and and that is counterintuitive and, and is what's separating, I guess, the mind and the body. This is that that this uh, the escape from the inner body. Towards a, towards a more extrinsic thinking mind, like I guess. Yeah. Yes, I like that. The thing is that I've learned um, over the past eight years or so, um, I've found different teachers. I found meditation, sitting practice teachers who are in their 80s, who practice for 60 years. And what I've learned is that we don't have a mind-body connection. We don't have one. We have it by moments. You know, if I if I really focus on my feet and my breathing now as I'm speaking to you, then my mind and body are more closely related. But it can so easily disappear. And, and again, here's some interesting feedback from a student recently when he was starting his uh, standing meditation. He said, well, I was there and then I disappeared. And then I came back to my body, then I disappeared again. And it was something that he'd never noticed before. So we don't have a mind-body connection and, and it's that, that tenuous thread is getting even more tenuous because we're living so much in the mind. Mm -hmm. But the mind doesn't play golf. The mind doesn't hit a tennis racket, mm -hmm. a tennis ball. You know, it's the body. Right. So how can we best use the mind to increase our ability to uh, move with fluidity and freedom and precision and power 
Mm. So we've got to quieten down that analytical mind, the worry mind. We've got to quieten it down. Um, and we train it. You train it in your practice. You give it something to do. Follow the breathing. Follow the breathing. Oh, I'm going to think about, I've got to talk to my sister later. Follow the breathing. Follow the breathing. Oh, I've got to send that email. So you see, we come and go from ourselves all the time. We're with ourselves and then we disappear. And the morning practice, I mean, you chose AM. I mean, others might choose PM. I guess it's up to anyone. But uh, the, the, the morning practice is, I guess, a study of that fleeting union between mind and body. And if nothing else, an acceptance of the fact that it isn't meant to be plugged in for 20 minutes straight, like our phone and would be. Yeah. It, it's actually going to come in and out like waves on the ocean. And that can be a beautiful thing to study, a beautiful thing to observe, you know, the, the tides that, that pull in and then out and in and then out and just try to f- catch the rhythm of that union between the mind and the body. And if for those brief moments, that's more than enough of a gift, I, I suppose, of look, I had it for, a, if not a fleeting moment, much like many of the things in our life that we love, um, loving others, uh, loving pets, uh, all of these kind of things, they do come and go. And isn't that, you know, one, of the, har- one, one yes. of the harshest life yes. lessons there is, but one that also we can study and, and learn to you know, live yes, with, live within. The idea of relaxed readiness to me, yeah. just to just to turn this into, you know, and there's a there's a there's a pyramid that a, a theorist that I love. His name is Fred Shoemaker, and he was the first one to me anyway. Oh, yes, I love Fred too. He was the first one to me to expose this idea of a gold statue covered in mud is really the role of the coach. My job is to remove the mud, to to unearth the gold statue rather than add gold. Um, and and I thought that was a beautiful way of looking at it. And when I read the passage earlier, I was just I didn't uh, read it. I paraphrased it. But you talked about how flow comes from within. And and those ones you talk about intuitively agreeing with the author and how some people just have an inner feeling that this is right, an inner truth here. Um, Those those always capture me. And when I hear about the gold statue, when I hear a theory that suggests that it was already in me, someone just had to draw it out. Breath had to draw it out, so on and so forth. Anyway, as we spin as we spin back into performance, Fred does a good job of, of dividing, you know, the the why am I doing this into learning, joy, and performance, not just performance. Let's stop being so one-dimensional about all of this stuff. Hmm. You're, so to move into that sort of performance angle of this, what is relaxed readiness and how will that help someone lower their handicap? Very extrinsic there. Oh, this is a huge subject, but that, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. And I'm, I'm writing more about that in Connected Golf. So Breathe Golf is about the meditation practice, which is one pillar or one side of my coaching. The other side, of course, is all the training from the martial arts. So relaxed readiness, there's actually a, there's a term called song or sung, S-O-N-G or S-U-N-G from the Chinese, <clears throat> which means to relax without losing structure. So it's a huge topic. But this is something that people would be training if they read Connected Golf and do the practices in there. Mm. You're training the body. And you can study this on, go online and have a look at Qigong or uh, Zhamzhong or standing practice. Have a look at the Shaolin monks and, and what they're doing. But basically, when you stand still and you would be putting your arms and your body in particular poses and postures, when you stand for five minutes, let's say, and you observe the body, we see that we can have structure while also being relaxed. Mm -hmm. And it creates a particular feeling in the body of this relaxed readiness. This, in the martial arts, we have this, it's the intention, it's the pre-fight, intention that we're training so you train that whether you're doing uh, kalari which is the ancient indian martial art whether it's tai chi whether it's wing chun kung fu karate jiu-jitsu whatever we're doing in in the martial arts we're training this state of relaxed readiness and what's so interesting is two of the greatest martial arts there was um the swordsman Miyamoto Musashi he trained 
this condition of relaxed readiness where he would stand motionless, sometimes for hours, with his hand on the hilt of his sword, ready to draw the sword. And then later there was a gentleman in, in China called Wang Xingzhai who developed this form called Ichuan, which means mind boxing, where he would just stand still. It was stand still for, you know, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes, two hours, training this condition of relaxed readiness. And what's really interesting about, <coughs> excuse me, Wang Xingzhai <coughs> is that he put a, an advert in the Beijing Times or whatever it was, you know, inviting all martial artists of any art to come and spar with him. Yes. What was so interesting about it is that he just, he pulverized all his opponents. He knocked everybody flying. Okay. Because he developed this state where he was so aware, there was no delay between his intention and his action. Right. And he could read his opponents, you know, he could read the intent, oh, I'm going to pull my right fist back and I'm going to do a cross, yeah. you know, yeah. a, a cross punch or whatever, or uppercut punch. He right. could see that. So I think it's something that we need to bring back into golf. Yes. Because if you look at Nicholas, you know, he, he would have one lesson a year with his coach, Jack Grout, and the lesson would be on stance and grip. So the head, you know, the mind wasn't full of all these things or of all, all these ideas. So we need to get back to something a lot more, a lot simpler and, and train it and develop it. This link between intent and action. I intend and I act, not I think through a whole checklist which delays the signal from the motor system to the body. It delays it by a fraction of, you know, hundredths of a second. Mm -hmm. But it's enough to, you know, hit your ball out of bounds or slam your, your opponent's, you know, return of serve uh, into the net. We've seen it a million times, haven't we, in sport? Would you say that what the modern athlete might be lacking is the discipline to go through these exercises or, or is it no. simply that the, um, the awareness that, that this is an area that yeah, of need? it's the awareness that, that this is a, this is the missing link. This yeah. is part of what an athlete needs to do. Right. I mean, the whole reason that I started working with sports people is I was teaching Tai Chi at the local gym, at the local health club for, well, I don't know, 15 years or so. But it's very difficult to get people to practice. You know, have a class of 20 people and maybe two people will practice. I was getting so frustrated because I thought, well, mm, if I work with athletes, they're going to practice because they want to win. You know, they've yeah. got this discipline. But it's just the awareness of how, how to do it and why you're doing it. And really try to be guided by somebody who, has, who does the practice, not who reads about it or thinks about it. Or has an idea of it. Yeah, that's an interesting case. We'll have to save that one for another chat as well, because there's there's a lot to talk about in that space. Uh, in golf, you could argue you shouldn't um, get instruction from someone who can't play or something like that. But it's it's an interesting debate you could have, I think, about the merits of someone who you know practices different elements of the game and 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 has a great appreciation for coaching and the art of coaching and and so on. But we won't go there today. There's a couple of sticky points that have hit me already. One of them is the space, the space between the stimulus and the response, or and you, you said the intention and the action, because it would seem to me that in this like cycle of the outside world affecting our inside world, and then we respond to the outside world in a very classical psycho psychological viewpoint, one of the great skills of mental game work is in fact creating a space between no, the stimulus no. and the response. <laughs> okay, well... You don't need that. I mean, the only mental game practice you need is to learn to quieten your mind, mm -hmm. you know, because if you're thinking about creating space, that's a thought, isn't right. it? Right. Yeah. You know, it's a, there's a huge, it's a huge paradigm shift. Yeah. I would say that the, the crux of that paradigm shift is that it's not the athletes, let's talk about goals. So it's not the golfer's job to try to hit the perfect shot. It's the golfer's job to try to be more connected inside. And when they're more connected, movement is connected. That's why 
you know, I'm teaching golf, but I don't play golf. I'm teaching, teaching golfers rather, teaching movement skills, how to be balanced, how to load the legs, how to move from the center of gravity, how to develop this state of relaxed readiness, how to develop relaxed attention um, so that the body can respond to the intent. And, and of course, we think everything is mind, mind, mind. And I had a conversation with a, a grandmaster, Tai Chi master, a, a woman, Chinese woman recently. And she clarified that no intent is nothing to do with the mind. It's nothing to do with the mind. It's nothing to do with thinking. If I turn around here in my office and I want to throw some crumpled paper in the bin, I don't think about it. I, I do it. Intention is there's many, many levels of the mind. And so here's, here's a thing for your listeners. When you take up your practice, when you try to sit, as I noticed this morning when I was doing my practice, there's an overarching mind that witnesses my breathing in, my breathing mm. out. Of course, it disappears and I go into thinking about my day and what I've got to do, but then I come back or it comes back. I don't mm. come back, it comes back. This intention that is the overarching mind. It's, it's an, I believe, and I'm so grateful to you, John, but I, I believe this is an ongoing dialogue that we need to have in sport. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've put the books out there. I've given everything to it my whole life. Now it needs to be really grounded, doesn't it? It needs to be grounded. And practiced. Be, yes, it needs to be practiced by by the athletes who can who can really hear what I'm saying. But but if you if you hear what I'm saying, you're going to base it on your own experience. Like the people who contacted me and said, "Wow." Something happened, this magical shot just came from nowhere. It was effortless. And then, of course, what happens when you try to recreate it by thinking and trying too hard? As opposed to what happens if you, what if you train those conditions? Quiet mind, relaxed body, paying attention to the moment, aware of the golf course, the weather, feeling the breeze on your skin. Oh, look at the light on the water. And then, bang! You hit hit another beautiful shot. Mm. That's what we're training. So many layers of it that are <clears throat> that are epistemic shifts, you know, and 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 yet, it's such a return to a simpler, ancient practice at the same time, right. which is kind of refreshing, you know. It's it again back to that gold statue. It's like this has been inside our evolutionary process forever and has been wheedled out effectively by things like let's call them industrial revolutions or other zeitgeist that kind of move us away from from this way of being um which is interesting and That's interestingly right. in in a philosophical sense sport has come about in recent times in largely to fulfill this gap perhaps it's an opportunity to for us for us to get Absolutely. this practice you know I, I couldn't agree more because athletes there are painters Mm -hmm. and musicians yeah, fair, as fair. well some crafts yes, yes fair yes. Yep. but yep. but i think yes sport i turn to because i i do work with musicians sometimes but sport is because i'm a martial artist and athletes want to win you know you'll go out and play golf you you want to win so i was very drawn to to, to working with athletes but and also if i if i just finish on if I come back to Jack Nicholas, who inspired me with this, with this, and I really hope to get a copy of Connected Golf to him. If anybody's listening who knows Jack Nicholas and can get the book to him, I, I'd be so happy. But when Jack Nicholas retired, I think it was 2005, and he was at St Andrews, after the round that he played, one of the BBC reporters went up to him and said, you know, thank you on behalf of millions and I mean the reporter had tears in his eyes Jack Nicholas had tears in his eyes his son who was caddying had tears in his eyes I had tears in my eyes I didn't even really know who Jack Nicholas was then or anything about golf and I thought my goodness sport really touches something in us it gives us a glimpse of our potential Agreed. it really does 
You've done a great job of bringing it back to Jack Nicholas. It's funny in my notes, I was also bringing it back to Jack Nicholas for the circularity, <laughs> for the circu- <laughs> the circularity. What you started with, and and just just for a minute or two to finish up, Jane, if that's okay, and then we'll oh. leave today's conversation as is as a nice introduction to your work. We can Thank revisit you. these themes uh, for sure. It's not enough, but it's at least a start. And wouldn't that be the truth for doing this practice that we're talking about as well? So Thank let's let's do it one way or the other. And now, so with the Jack Nicholas, you talked about he. I was amazed that he kept saying it's all in his feet. Could you speak as a concluding remark to how natural movement comes from the ground and how that can be a conduit to flow experiences? Well, if I go back to the Tai Chi phrase, which is Tai Chi is rooted in the feet, moves mm-hmm. through the waist and is expressed in the upper body. I've got in connected goal for picture, uh, quite stylized images, but a picture of the orthodox setup and a picture of a more connected setup. And you can visualize, I mean, some of these guys are so muscular on tour and they're standing there. You can see the chest is really tight. The shoulders are up around their ears. Their upper body has the same quality as the lower body. It's all muscle, muscle, muscle. But look at the Tai Chi masters. You know, you I've seen this. I've been in classes where you have a you have a sort of 70 year old Tai Chi master who's about five foot four. And you've got a load of guys from the gym, you know, and they're doing a tug of war with Tai Chi master or trying to push him over. And of course, the Tai Chi master flattens all the big burly guys every time because it's where is the center of gravity positioned with a lot of guys is in the chest. So, you you know, you push somebody and they're going to fall over. Whereas when we lower the attention with the training, the breathing, the sitting and standing practice, we lower the attention to the center of gravity and we find the balance point in the feet and we pay attention to the legs and the lower body. Then we're really developing this thing called ground force energy. And when we're rooted in the lower body, the upper body can relax. Typically, the chest empties, the shoulders are down, therefore we can breathe more deeply. And this allows us to turn more freely through the waist. Maybe that starts to answer the question. It does, yeah. There's a rootedness. There's a rootedness that comes from it. And then there was an esoteric side that we could have gone to, which I'm sure we will in future as well, which is the more (laughs) spiritual connection to the the collective unconscious of flow that that we kind of described a little bit earlier as well. Uh, I'm very, very happy to have initiated this conversation at the very least after uh, many years of kind of poking around the the, the research that you do and and, and just admiring from a distance. It's really nice to have brought you into our community um, to kind of inspire some of the those that I see more often. Um, so thank you very much for taking a little bit of time, Jane, with us and for sharing your ideas openly and uh, and and so being so congenial with with your approach to things. Um, it's much appreciated and and certainly allows for people to digest the materials uh, quite easily, if 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 I can tell. So uh, so thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, any parting wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience, uh, Jane, or can you tell us a little bit about how to find your book, how to find you, and just in case someone had to Jack Nicholas yes. in their back pocket. <laughs> yes, of course. My website is chi, C-H-I, dash, performance.com. Chi is the Chinese word for energy. Uh, I'm sure you're going to put a link there as well, yes, John, correct. aren't you? But yep. it's chi-performance.com. Mm-hmm. And if you sign up to my newsletter, um, I'll send you a free training report, which is called Zen Mind Sports Mind. I think it's about eight or nine pages of a free report and you can get cracking on your uh, seated practice. Also, if you want to have a go at the standing practice, email me and I'll send you a copy of something that I've got called Relaxed Power, uh, which is another free report. So you can you can sort of get on and do the training. Um, There's lots of podcasts. I've got a blog that goes back to, I don't know, 2012 or 2013. So read all of that stuff. There's tons and tons of free information on my website, loads of YouTube videos. And if you want to get the books, um, they're quite, you know, um, not very expensive if you get them on Audible or Kindle, or of course you can get paperback. So it's Breathe Golf and Connected Golf, and you can get them from Amazon and from most bookstores around the world. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate it, Jane. Thanks so much for taking some time. Uh, best wishes. And look forward to chatting sometime soon.
Fantastic. Thank you very much. Cheers. Again, thank you, Jane, for your time, your energy, your ideas. I know for myself, I find it truly refreshing to hear these themes and ideas discussed upon from somebody that's been immersed in the practice for longer than I've I've been on earth. Uh, so it really uh, reinforces these ideas in my own uh, journey as a coach, as a golfer, as a human. Um, and I hope it does the same for, for the listeners as well. One thing, one kind of big theme that I took away from that uh, discussion is the, this idea that it's not all the mind, the mind, the mental game. You know, we hear in the golf world, um, kind of our classic psychology, sports psychology world is that there is the mental game and the mental skills. And then there's the physical abilities and skills uh, that we express. And I think it's really important that we kind of shift the lens on that and consider if we are working the mind, there is a body. And if we're working the body, there is a mind. They are one, they are one system. And we have to kind of respect that and honor that and in practice, kind of cherish that idea to our own advantage. If we're if we're working the mind without the body and working the body without the mind, we're probably not allowing for uh, the best enhancement or learning of the skill. So something to consider there for sure that stood out to me um, and reinforcing this idea because it is so kind of mainstream in that we got to work mental skills and we got to work physical skills, bring them two together and see how the skills as a whole get enhanced and your expression of the behaviors start to become a little bit more flow-like and with much more ease um, and accessibility. To find out more information on Jane, in the show notes, we have a link to her website. She has two books that you can tap into. Definitely worthwhile getting engaged with some of her content. Lots of good resources on her blog as well. For the Pure Golf Collective, we're going to keep rolling out our performance mindset series. Lots of cool themes in there uh, that touch upon many of the ideas that we've talked about in our shows and with our guests. We'll keep plugging those out, those shorter little quick hit 20, 25 minute episodes for you guys. Uh, really high value. Lots of cool takeaways and ideas to start implementing into your training and golf performance. As always, make sure to like and subscribe, share with your friends. Continuing to grow out the collective is uh, has been an awesome journey thus far, and we're excited to continue growing um, and reaching more people, sharing some awesome ideas and uh, discussion that continues to evolve. And if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, as always, feel free to reach out to myself or John. You can find our information on the website, puregolfcollective.com. You can reach us on Instagram at puregolfcollective. We would love to engage with you guys and have a discussion on any of these themes. And until next time, keep celebrating all that is pure in the game we love. Mm -hmm.